0: section four of rackety-packety house and other stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org rackety-packety house and other stories by francis Hodgson burnett surly tim part one sorry to hear my fellow workmen speak so disparagin of me well master that's as it may be you know happen my fellow workmen i made a bit of mistake happen what seems like crustiness to them being so much crustiness as something else happen i might do my own bit of complaining too you may not trust all your ear, mister that's all i can say i looked at the man's bent face quite curiously and judging from its rather heavy but still not unprepossessing outline, I could not really call it a bad face or even a sulky one. And yet both managers and hands had given me a bad account of Tim Hibblethwaite. Surly Tim they called him, and each had something to say about his sullen disposition to silence and his short answers, not that he was accused of anything like misdemeanor, but he was glum like the factory people said and a Sorley fellow well deserving his name as the master of the room had told me I Had come to Lancashire to take control of my father's spinning factory a short time before Being anxious to do my best towards the hands and I often talked to one and another in a friendly way so that I could better understand their grievances and remedy them with justice to all parties concerned so in conversing with men women and children i gradually found out that tim Hibblethwaite was in bad odour and that he held himself doggedly aloof from all and this was how in the course of time i came to speak to him about the matter and the opening words of my story are the words of his answer but they did not satisfy me by any means i wanted to do the man justice myself and see that justice was done to him by others and then again when after my curious look at him, he lifted his head from his work and drew the back of his hand across his warm face. I noticed that he gave his eyes a brush, and glancing at him once more, I recognized the presence of a moisture in them. In my anxiety to conceal that I had noticed anything unusual, I'm afraid I spoke to him quite hurriedly. I was a young man then, and by no means as self-possessed as I ought to have been. I hope you won't misunderstand me, hibblethwaite I said i don't mean to complain indeed i have nothing to complain of for foxley tells me you're the steadiest and most orderly hand he has under him but the fact is i should like to make friends with you all and see that no one is treated badly and somehow or other i found out that you were not disposed to feel friendly toward the rest and i was sorry for it but i suppose you have some reason of your own the man bent down over his work again silent for a minute to my discomfiture but at last he spoke almost huskily thank you mister he said you're a kindly chap, or you wouldn't have noticed and you're not for wrong either i have reasons of my own though i'd like to keep them to myself most of the times the fellas as throws their slurs on me would not understand him if i were like to gab which i never were but happen the time will come when surly tim will tell his own tale though i often think it's like it won't not come till the day of judgment i hope it comes before then i said cheerfully i hope the time is not far away when we shall all understand you hibblethwaite i think it's been misunderstanding so far which has separated you from the rest and it cannot last always you know but he shook his head not after a surly fashion but as i thought a trifle sadly or heavily so I did not ask any more questions or try to force the subject upon him, but I noticed him pretty closely as time went on, and the more I saw of him, the more fully I was convinced that he was not so surly as people imagined. He never interfered with the most active of his enemies, nor made any reply when they taunted him, and more than once I saw him perform a silent, half-secret act of kindness. Once I caught him throwing half his dinner to a wretched little lad. Who had just come to the factory and worked near him and once again as I was leaving the building on a rainy night I came upon him on the stone steps at the door bending down with an almost pathetic Clumsiness to pin the woolen shawl of a poor little mite, Who like so many others worked with her shiftless father and mother to add to their weekly earnings? It was always the poorest and least cared for of the children whom he seemed to befriend And very often I noticed that even when he was kindest, in his awkward man fashion, the little waifs were afraid of him, and showed their fear plainly. The factory was situated on the outskirts of a thriving country town near Manchester, and at the end of the lane that led from it to the more thickly populated part, there was a path crossing a field to the pretty church and churchyard, and this path was a shortcut homeward for me. Being so pretty and quiet the place had a sort of attraction for me And I was in the habit of frequently passing through it on my way partly because it was pretty and Quiet and partly because I have no doubt because I was inclined to be weak and melancholy at the time My health being broken down under hard study It so happened that in passing here one night and glancing in among the graves and marble monuments as usual I caught sight of a dark figure sitting upon a little mound under a tree and resting its head upon its hands, and in this sad-looking figure I recognized the muscular outline of my friend, Surly Tim. He did not see me at first, and I was almost inclined to think it best to leave him alone, but as I half turned away he stirred with something like a faint moan, and then lifted his head and saw me standing in the bright, clear moonlight. "Who's there?" he said. dost I want out? It's only Doncaster Hibelith. Wait," I returned as I sprang over the low stone wall to join him. "What is the matter, old fellow? I thought I heard you groan just now." "You a done, Mister," he answered heavily. "Happened the did. I, I done not myself. Not's the matter though, as I knows on. Only I'm a bit out of sorts." He turned his head aside slightly and began to pull at the blades of grass on the mound and all at once I saw that his hand was trembling nervously It was almost three minutes before he spoke again That un belongs to me he said suddenly at last pointing to a longer mound at his feet and this little un, Signifying with an indescribable gesture the small one upon which he sat poor fellow I said I see now a little lad o' mine, he said slowly and tremulously. A little lad o' mine and and his mother. What? I exclaimed. I never knew that you were a married man, Tim. He dropped his head upon his hand again, still pulling nervously at the grass with the other. The law says I be't mester," he answered in a painful, strained fashion. I could not tell myself what God almighty ud would say about it. I don't understand, I faltered, you don't mean to say the poor girl never was your wife, Hibblethwaite? That's what the law says. Slowly. I thought different, my son, and so did the poor lass. That's what's the matter, mister. That's the trouble. The other nervous hand went up to his bent face for a minute and hid it. But I did not speak. There was so much of strange grief in his simple movement that I felt words would be out of place. It was not my dogged, inexplicable hand who was sitting before me in the bright moonlight on the baby's grave. It was a man with a hidden history of some tragic sorrow long kept secret in his homely breast. Perhaps a history very few of us could read or write. I would not question him, though I fancied he meant to explain himself. I knew that if he was willing to tell me the truth, it was best that he should choose his own time for it and so I let him alone. And before I had waited very long, he broke the silence himself, as I had thought he would. "'It were welly about six year ago I come here,' he said, more or less, welly about six year. I were a quiet chap then, mester, and had not many friends, but I had more than I now. Happen I were better natured, but just as loike I were lighter-hearted, but that's not to do with it. I had not been here more than a week when there come a young woman to mind the loom in the next room to me, and this young woman, being pretty and modest, takes my fancy. She were not like the rest of the wenches, loud talkin' and slattern airways. She were just quiet like, and naught else. First time I seed her, I says to my son, "There's a lass at seed trouble," and somehow every time I seed her after, I says to my son. There's a lass at seed trouble it were uh, ear awry. She had a soft like brown. eye, mister, and it were ear voice her her voice were soft like, too I sometimes thought it were plain to be seed even ear a dress if she'd been born a lady She'd have been one of the fine sort and as she'd been born a factory lass She were one of the fine sort still so I took to watching her and trying to make friends with her but I never had much luck where till one neat i was goin' home through the snow and i seed her afore tighten the drift with nought but a thin shawl o'er her head and so i goes up behind her and i says to her steady and respectful so she wouldn't be afeard i says lass, let me see thee home it's bad weather for thee to be out in by thy sin take my coat and wrap thee up in it and take hold of my arm and let me help thee along she looks upright straight forward in my face with her brown eyes, and I tell you, mister, I were glad I were a honest man stead of a rascal, for them quiet eyes would a fun me out before i would a done sayin' my say, if I'd a meant harm. Thank you kindly, mister Hibblethwaite, she says, but do not take off the coat for me. I'm doing pretty nicely. It is, mister Hibblethwaite mean it? Ay, lass, I answers, it's him mought i ax your name ay to be sure said she my name's rosanna sanna brent the folk at the mill all calls me i work at the loom ere next room to thine i've seed thee often and often so we walks home to her lodgings and on the way we talks together friendly and quiet like and the more we talks the more i sees she's had trouble and by and by bein only common workin folk we're straightforward to each other in our plain way it comes out what her trouble has been. You praps wouldn't think I've been a married woman, mister, she says, but I ha and I wedded and rude. I married a soldier when I were a giddy young wench four years ago, and it were the worst thing as ever I did in all my days. He were one of your handsome, fastest chaps, and he tired of me as men of his stripe always do, tire o' oh, poor lasses, and then he ill treated me. He went to the Crimea after we'd been wed a year and left me to shift for myself and i heard six months after he were dead he never writ back to me nor sent me no help but i could not think he were dead till the letter come he were killed the first month he were out fighting the russians poor feller, poor phil the law have mercy on him and that were how i found out about her trouble and somehow it seemed to draw me to her and make me feel kindly towards her Twas so pitiful to hear her talk about the rascal so sorrowful and gentle and not give a real hard word for what he'd done But that's all yes the way we woman folk the more you harry of them the more they pity yo and pray for you Why she want a more than 22 then she must have been naught but a slip of a lass when they were wed house Rosanna Brent and me got to be good friends and we walked ome together at nights and talked about our bits o wage and our bits o debt and the way that wind should keep up her spirits when i were a bit down downearted about out was just a wonder she was so quiet and steady and when she said out she meant it and she never said too much or too little her brown eyes always reminded me of my mother though the old woman deed when i would no but a little chap but i never seed Santa Brent smile thou thinking of how my mother looked when i were kneeling down saying my prayers after her and bein as the last were so dear to me i made up my mind to axe her to be somewhat dearer so once goin home along with her i takes older her hand and lifts it up and kisses it gentle as gentle as with somewhat the same feelin as i'd kissed the good book Sanna, i says bein as you've had so much trouble with your first chance would you be afeard to try a second could you trust a mon again such a mon as me Sanna? I wouldn't be feared to trust thee, Tim. She answers back soft and gentle, after a manner. I would not be feared to trust thee any time. I kisses her hand again, gentler still. God bless thee, lass. I says, does that mean yes? She crept up closer to me in a sweet, quiet way. Ay, lad, she answers. It means yes, and I'll bide by it, and thou shalt never rue it, lass. Said I thou's given thy life to me and i'll give mine to thee sure and true so we were axed i the church the next sunday and a month fra then we were wed and if ever a god's sun shone on a happy mon it shone on one that day when we come out of church together me and rosanna and went to our bit of a home to begin life again i could not tell thee mister there be'n't no words to tell how happy and peaceful we live for two year after that, my lass never altered her sweet ways, and I just loved her to make up to her for what had gone by. I thank God Almighty for his blessing every day, and every day I pray to be made worthy of it and Here's just where I'd like to ask a question, Mister, about some that's worried me a good deal. I do not want to question the maker, but I would like to know how it is at sometimes it seems at's are clean forgot as if he could not fash his'n about our troubles and most like left em to work out their sins you see mister and we all see sometimes he thinks on us and gives us a lift but has not thy thy sin seen times when thou stopped short and axed thy sin where's god almighty at he is'n't straighten things out a bit the world's a power of snarl. The righteous is forsaken in his seeds begging bread, and the devil's topmost again. I've talked to my lass about it sometimes, and I do not think I meant harm, mester, for I felt humble enough. And when I talked, my lass she'd listen and smile, soft and sorrowful, but she never gimme but one answer. End of section four.